Well, let me invite you to turn to chapter 26, uh, 27, really, of the book of Genesis. You know, when I was young, when I was a little boy, four years old, five years old, I think up to about eight years old when it stopped. But my grandfather, Papa, would tell me stories about Mr. Screech Owl. Every night before bedtime, I would have stories about Mr. Screech Owl. Do you know that on those nights when I was staying with my grandparents and Papa told me stories about Mr. Screech Owl, I had the hardest time going to sleep. I wanted to know what happened to the forest buddies. I want to know what happened to Mr. Screech Owl. I was obsessed with that story. Today we come to a story. The Bible's full of stories, by the way. Most full of stories. Today we come to a story that, apologies to Papa, wonderful man, he was, is now in glory, is even better than Mr. Screech Owl. We come to a story today that is even better than Mr. Screech Owl. And therefore, it's worthy of your attention. I say that because like a lot of the Old Testament, a lot of the stories in the Old Testament, it's a long reading. But I think it's a good reading. It's worth us hearing all the details and getting a sense of the narrative. We're going to look at four people today. If you want to outline, uh, well, look at the name. Then we'll, we'll go along as we, uh, as we come to it. We'll look at Ethan and Isaac. We'll look at Rebecca and Jacob. There's your outline. Ethan and Isaac, Rebecca and Jacob. We come to chapter 27. We'll read verse 1 through verse 45. A long reading, but let's uh, remind ourselves here it's a beautiful story, a fascinating story, a sad story. It's also the word of the Lord. So let's receive it as that. We come, we hear from Moses, we hear from God, these words, beginning in verse 1. When Isaac was old, And his eyes were dim so that he could not see. He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. Esau answered, here I am. Isaac said, look, I'm old. I don't know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, look, my brother Esau is a hairy man. I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So Jacob went and took them and brought them to his mother and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son, and the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread 
which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So Jacob went into his father and said, my father. And Isaac said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? Jacob answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And Isaac did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau's hands. So Isaac blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? Jacob answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and Isaac ate. He brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So Jacob came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his clothes and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And as soon as Isaac had finished the blessing, Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled a great tremble and said, who was it that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I, I blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O oh my father. Isaac said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he's cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, birthright and look, now he's taken away my blessing. Then he said, haven't you reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, look, I've made him Lord over you. All his brothers I've given to him for servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, look away from the fatness of the earth shall your, shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword shall you live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob 
because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Look, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you've done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Beloved, the grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Let's pray and ask his blessing upon this word. Oh, Father, we come to you for blessing. We come to you. And we ask that you would give us a blessing greater even than what, you, what Isaac gave Jacob. Bless us now as we hear your word. May we receive it. And may our week, our hearts, our lives, our minds, our souls be blessed through it. We ask this in the name of the blessed one, Jesus Christ himself. Amen. If you count it up, if you count it up, the word blessing in this chapter occurs 22 times. Verb and noun, you know, differences. 22 times. Obviously, this is a story about blessing. So what? I submit to you that we have to understand what the word blessing means because in our English language, blessing is a wimpy word, a weak word, a misused word. We say, bless your heart as good Southerners, and we mean it as a snarky, sarcastic curse. We say, I found the parking spot at Walmart or Costco or Publix, wherever you shop. It's right in front. I am blessed. It's a feel-good word. But here's the deal, friends. If it's a feel-good word, and all this rigmarole, all these issues about blessing in the chapter, couldn't Isaac who makes the mistaken blessing, couldn't he have kind of just switched it? If a blessing's a feel-good word, couldn't he have said, oh, take back. Actually, Esau, you're blessed. Well, he can't. Why not? Because, friends, blessing is something that you don't understand, but you know you want it. You don't understand it, but you, don't, you know you want it. I mean, you hear the story here, and it's uh, thousands of years old, and our first temptation as good modern people Good modern Westerners is to say, these are primitive people, ancient people. They thought it was some kind of magical spell, some kind of incantation. No, friends. They knew. And if you've ever been to a therapist, you know. If you've been to a counselor, you know. If you're a parent, you know what a blessing is. There's a Hebrew scholar who writes, who comments on this text. He says this, the narrative assumes that symbolic actions have genuine and abiding power and spoken words, especially apparent to a child, shape our human life. It's the nursery rhyme. If I can alter it a bit, sticks and stones can only break my bones, but words can make or break my soul. Do you know that words can make or break your very soul? I mean, don't you even know? Somebody says an offhanded comment to you. And the next week, you're, you're thinking about it. And somebody says that, that, that offhanded comment to you, 
and they affirm you or they, they cut you down. And what are you doing? I mean, you're thinking about it for months, years on end. It's like a power. It's like a power over you. Now, if even casual comments can do that, how much more powerful is an authoritative, serious parent to child, father to son, deathbed blessing? Here's why a blessing, here's what a blessing is. You know what a blessing is? Here, here's, a, here's a definition for you. Blessing is an accurate spiritual discernment of a person. Blessing is an accurate spiritual discernment of who a person is, who God made them to be, what gifts God gave them, what they're becoming. It's a deep spiritual discernment of who a person is. It's not just good wishing. It's choosing powerful words, powerful gestures to shape, encourage, affirm that person. I mean, think about it. If you've ever had a wise friend tell you something, I mean, really tell you, you've ever had that conversation where you've sat someone down, or you've been sat down yourself, and they say to you, this is who God has made you to be. And that can last your whole life. That's a blessing. So today, we're going to look at four characters and how they try to get blessing, how they deal with blessing, how God works even through all their failures. We're going to look at two pairs. The side note, by the way, if you look through the, the whole chapter, everybody talks in pairs. There are four people here. Daddy, Isaac, Mama, Rebecca, son, Esau, son, Jacob. If you look through the whole chapter, they never all get together and talk. They only talk in pairs. It's a fascinating. I don't have time to get into all that, but it shows how dysfunctional they are. It shows how messed up they are. One talks to one, one goes to another, one talks to another, never all together. So let's look at the first pair, Esau, Isaac, first pair. Our story begins, and I didn't read all of it for time's sake. Our story begins really at the end of chapter 26, verse 34. I'll read it. You can listen. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife. He took another gal, Basimath also a Hittite. They made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So what, how does it start off with? Esau gets married. You flip forward all the way to chapter 28, verse 9, which is the real end of the story. I didn't read it all. What happens? Esau gets married. The story is bracketed by two marriages of Esau. He has a lot of wives. He has three wives by the end of it. But notice how old he is at the very beginning. He's 40, 40 year old. Isaac is 100 years old. Remember when Isaac was 40? Isaac was 40. What happened? His dad, Abraham, he went about his business seeking a godly spouse, a godly wife for Isaac. Remember that huge chapter, chapter 24? Long story of a servant going to a distant land. There's a well. There's Rebecca there. All this conversation. Abraham went through the steps to ensure that Isaac would not marry the folk in Canaan because Abraham valued God's promise. Abraham knew that the godly line had to be sustained. What happens here? There's no long story. It's one verse. Isaac does nothing. Isaac does nothing. He lets Esau 
saw a ghost in front of the gal named Judith from, you know, the neighbors, a Hittite uh, associated with Canaan under God's curse. The same folks God will tell Joshua later on to kick out of the land. Esau freely wiped himself to one and then another. And with the result, havoc, havoc in the household. Esau is callous to God. He is callous to God's promise. And what's even more surprising is what Isaac does next. What Isaac does next in the first four or so verses, he says, look, I want to bless you. Isaac calls Esau, hey, my favorite son, I want to give you a blessing. Isaac wants to speak over Esau, who hates God, a blessing of God. He wants to speak over Esau, who despises the promise of Abraham. He wants to give him the promise of Abraham. Isaac, who knows the prophecy. Remember the prophecy back in 20, chapter 25, verse 23? The older shall serve the younger. Esau shall serve Jacob. Jacob is God's promised one. Isaac says, I don't care. I don't care what God says. I don't care what he wants. I'm going to do my way, my, my thing. So what does Isaac say? He says, hey, Esau, I love you. You're a great hunter. Go get in your deer stand. Get me some deer. Bring it back. Cook it the way I love it. And I'll bless you. It's interesting that if you look at the way Abraham's servant acts in chapter 24, Abraham's servant gives the blessing before he eats. That's usually the way our worship works. We are blessed by God before we eat at the Lord's table. That's the normal way. But Isaac says, no, I want my food now. My tummy is hungry. Isaac is completely controlled by his appetites. He is completely controlled. Remember that from a couple of chapters ago. Isaac loves Esau because Esau brings steak. He brings hamburgers. Isaac thinks, as long as my earthly tummy is met, as long as I have good food, God loves me and I'm good. Now, look, Isaac is old at this point. He's probably about 137 years old, the scholars say. He's fixing to die. We're given one detail here in verse 1 that's key. His eyes are dim so that he cannot see. He's losing his sight. That's a physical problem, but here it has a spiritual component. His eyes are going blind because his soul is going blind. He is turning away from God. Friends, see here a picture of the danger of trusting your appetites, trusting your sight, trusting your instant desire, your immediate gratification. Isaac has been a Christian for decades most of his life, but in his old age, what happens to him? He is not godly. He is not faithful. He is not true. His old age has been shameful. He is fixated on Esau. He wants to subvert God's promise. He doesn't care about God's prophecy. He knows who Esau is. He knows who Esau's married. He knows what he's not done. But Isaac is determined to have his way on his timetable through his will. He will not submit to God, a self-centered man, a sensualist. His God is his belly. You see that in verse 4, verse 9, verse 14. I love this food. I love this food. Make it the way I love it. 
You see here, friends, the lust of the flesh are not just a young person problem. There are some that are stronger when you're young. There are some that are stronger when you're old. Here's a man whose spiritual desire has collapsed. He has become blind. And what what has actually happened? He has become a dictator in his home. He has become a spiritual tyrant in his home. You know, what's interesting is that we've had three stories already in this book about deception. Abraham twice, Isaac once, and the same pattern has happened. There's a famine. They go down to a foreign land, often Abimelech. They go under a foreign king. They're they're scared of their uh, beautiful wife getting taken. So Abraham and Isaac use the same deception. They say, she's my sister. My wife's my sister. They, They lie. They deceive. Because they don't trust the tyrant. They want to protect the covenant. Here is the fourth time deception occurs in in this story. But the twist is, who's the dictator? Who's the evil king? Who's the tyrant who makes God's promise? It's not our father, it's Isaac himself. Isaac knows that the Lord loves Jacob, but he is pushing against God. Is that you, Christ? Do you know your Bible? Isaac lights. We'll make you feel like Esau. We'll put some goat skin gloves on you. Jacob says, hold on now. I'm concerned about this. Look at verse 11. Here is his big hang up. My brother Esau is hairy. I am a smooth guy. What's his hang up? His concern is not anything moral. He has no problem lying. He has no problem deceiving. His problem is what if I get caught? What if I get caught? He's a smooth guy, and that's a smooth talker, as we might say. He's a morally slippery guy. He's risk adverse. But Rebecca says, notice this, verse 13, a powerful statement. Rebecca, the mother, says, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Let your curse be on me, my son. She is so desperate to make God's promise work that she willingly swears an oath to be cursed. Now, it's striking here because Rebecca is obviously messed up. She's trying to trick Isaac, but her desire is the right desire. She wants God's promised son to be blessed. She knows God has said, I love Jacob. But just like Abraham, Rebecca is totally like Abraham here. What did Abraham do when he got the promise of a son? He tried to get it his own way with Hagar. He tried to get it his own way, manipulate God. Rebecca does the exact same thing. She uses human cunning to make the promise happen in her own way. She wants to control God's blessing. We know blessing's powerful. We know how powerful it is to be blessed by God. And so we want to use it, manipulate it. 
So she dresses Jacob up. He goes in. He goes to Esau, uh, to Isaac. Verse 18, he says, here I am. Uh, verse 19, excuse me. He says, I am Esau, your firstborn. Emphasis in Hebrew on the last word there. I am your firstborn. I'm really the one. I'm really your firstborn son. He's lying here. And then Isaac says, wow, you're really fast. Do you go to Chick-fil-A? Notice how low Jacob goes at this point. Verse 20. The Lord your God granted me success. Jacob has no problem lying. He has no problem committing blasphemy. He has no problem taking the name of the Lord in vain. He says, the Lord your God granted me success. You see how low he has gone to cover the ploy. Isaac is not dumb. He's not an idiot. He's still a little bit suspicious of this. Well, the voice sounds like Jacob, but the hands feel like Esau. Come on close. Bring it to me. I want to taste the food. He tastes it. It tastes good. And ironically, and this is so funny, it's tragic, but funny. The man who lives by his tummy is taken in by his tummy. The man who lives by his taste buds is fooled by his taste buds. It tastes the same, even though it's domesticated goats. But he's suspicious still. Isaac, come, come here. Hey, Jacob, come here. I want to smell you. He smells goat smell. And then the first kiss ever mentioned in the Bible. A kiss of betrayal. A Judas kiss. Jacob kisses his father. And then the blessing. It's an amazing blessing. Verse 28, may God give you the dew of heaven. The fat earth. What does that mean? You hear that and you're like, uh, can I get more? Is there, is there, is there a, a trust fund here? Is there some stocks? Is there some money I can have? Is there a house at least? The dew of heaven. Who cares? Friends, if you were in the Middle East, you care. Water is everything. Think about it. If you live in Israel today, all you got back then, all you get was the rainfall and the morning dew. All you get is the rain that comes down. But if it ain't raining, all you get is the dew from the nighttime frost. So Isaac is saying, I'm going to give you water year-round. You're going to be so rich with water. It'll be amazing. I'm going to give you grain. I'm going to give you wine. May God bless you, and you'll be fruitful. But more than that, verse 29, I want to give you dominion. Fruitfulness, then dominion. People are going to serve you. Nations are going to bow down to you. And then last, the very end, he gives the blessing of Abraham. Curse be everyone who curses you. Bless be everyone who blesses you. It's a powerful statement of blessing. That's why Isaac will tell Esau later, hey, buddy, I can't give you anything. Jacob got it all. He got everything. Jacob, the one who promised, is blessed because God will not be thwarted by your sin. That's one of the critical points to grasp in all this rigor of the world. God, in his sovereign grace, will not be thwarted by your cunning, by your planning, by your scheming. Jacob's a scumball. But God prevails and blesses him nonetheless. His will is still done. Esau comes in then. I mean, it's a master storytelling. Jacob leaves and Esau comes in. His father irony says, who are you? Who are you? Esau says, I'm Esau. And then we read verse 33, Isaac trembled a great tremble. Literally. He trembled very violently. He's 
trembling because he realizes what just happened. If you're Esau, who's the other guy? You see, Isaac is being taught something here by God. Isaac learns his lesson here. He learns, I tried to defy God, and God thwarted my plan. How do we know he learned his lesson? Because Hebrews 11, the New Testament says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Does Isaac have faith here? The old man is blind. Does he have faith? Yes. Yes, he has faith because of what he says about Jacob. He says, verse 35, uh, verse 33, excuse me. I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. He affirms that Jacob is indeed blessed. Isaac doesn't take it back. He realizes that God does what he says. The younger is better than the older. And then he gives this really awful blessing to Esau. He says, you'll be, you'll be uh, poor. You'll be away from everybody. Um, you'll break away from Jacob, and therefore you will have no salvation, really. It's a curse you would not give to your worst enemies. And so you come to the end of the story, and what happens? Esau, like Cain, like Satan, is a murderer from the very beginning. He wants to kill. He wants to kill Jacob. Rebecca, mama tiger, says, Jacob, go away, and you'll come back eventually. Go off to Laban. You'll come back and see me. And the sad irony, friends, is at the very end of this whole setting, nobody's happy. Rebecca loves her son, Jacob. She will never see Jacob again. She thinks she will. She never will again. Isaac, blind. Esau, cursed. Jacob, blessed. But where is he going? He is going away from family. He has nothing. So what's the point of all this? I mean, what's the point of this whole story? Friends, what you have here is a picture of every human heart in this room. You want to be blessed. You want the blessing of the firstborn. You want to be the special snowflake. Nobody in this room wants to be a clone. You don't want somebody to generally say, oh, you're a good guy. You want special, specific blessing. You want people that you admire to say, you matter. You want folks that you respect to say, you're good. There's nobody like you. That's why when, the mom, when your mom says, I love you more than anything else, when your husband says, I love you more than anything else, it matters. You're special. Jacob wanted that. Esau wanted that. We want that because you can never bless yourself, friends. The world tells us you can. You can just repeat words for yourself. Visualize it, and it'll happen. No, friends. Try it this week. Every morning, get up and say to the person in the mirror, I am an amazing person. And then reflect upon how your day goes. See how amazing it goes. See how awful you are. See the words that come out of your mouth. See the thoughts that you bring. You cannot bless yourself. You have to have a smart person tell you that you're smart. You have to have a good person tell you you're good. You have to have outside blessing. You have to have people say there's no one like you. It's the great quote I've mentioned before by Tolkien. The praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. We all want the praise of the praiseworthy. The problem is we get it by Jacob. We get it like Jacob. We try to get blessing like Jacob. It's a scary picture. You dress up. You dress up as somebody else. Somebody you're not. Jacob dresses up like Esau. 
He couldn't get the blessing he wanted from his father. So he dresses up like Esau. How are you getting the thing you want in your life? You're not letting people see you. You're dressing up. Some of us are literally dressing up. Putting a lot of time into your appearance, you know, getting the hair slicked. I had to get a haircut finally, y'all noticed, because it was getting so bad. I wanted you to like me at least a little bit, so I had to cut off a lot of these things. But many of us are doing that every day. Putting a lot of time into our persona, our pose. Being the kid, the cool one, the smart one, the uh, comedian. And what we do as a kid, we do as an adult. You're trying to be your parents because you can't stand the idea of not having your parents' approval. Or you're trying to be not like your parents because you can't stand the idea of having your parents' approval. We're trying to look at and say, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. And then we dress up and say, I'm a good father, I'm a good Christian, I go to church, I'm a good wife. So what's the solution here, friends? What's the solution? If you're like Jacob, what's the solution here? I want you to understand, first of all, the point of the story is not to give you 10 ways to avoid dysfunction in your family. The point of this is not to give you five ways to have a better family life. There are things you can learn from that. That's not something that. The point of the story is not if you have good families, God will bless you. If you have bad families, if you saddle off as a father or mother or husband or wife, then God won't ever bless you. That's not true. These four individuals are all royally screwed up. And God is coming and blessing Jacob, who is perhaps the most messed up of them all. Because the moral of the story is this. God intervenes scandalously. He comes to sinners. He comes intervening with grace to people who don't seek him, who don't deserve him, who continually resist him, who don't appreciate it. Over and over and over again, because everybody here fails, but God does not fail. Everything he says comes to fruition. Esau rebelled, trying to exile the promised son. But God stayed his hand, and Jacob's blessed. But if this is true, how do you get the blessing? I mean, how do you get God, who's better than anybody in your life, how do you get God to say over you, I love you, you're mine, you're good? It has to be based on his mercy. It has to be based on grace upon grace. God overcoming disobedience for his name's sake and for your good. How do you do that? You know, Jacob's wrong here, actually. How do you do it here? <clears throat> when Isaac asks, who are you? And Jacob says, verse 19, I'm Esau, your firstborn. He's wrong. He wasn't the firstborn. Not literally. But he's wrong another way because Jesus Christ, we're told, is the firstborn of all creation in the book of, in, in the letter of Colossians. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the only begotten Son of the Father. What that means is that Jesus Christ, from all eternity, has lived in a state of firstborn blessing. The Father has doted on the Son. He has poured love into the heart of Christ. And if you're a parent, you know an, an inkling of what that's like. You, you know what you do when you go into your kid's bedroom and they're sleeping and you love them so much. You look at them and you say, I love you. I want what's best for you so much. You have to walk out of the room, don't you? You can't, you can't stay in the bedroom because your heart aches. You love them so much. That's a hint of what the father saw in the son from all eternity. But what does Jesus Christ do? What does the firstborn do? He comes to earth. 
He dies on the cross. He leaves the firstborn blessing. What did he do on the cross? He prays. Every other time in the life of Jesus Christ, he prays, Father, Abba, Father, our Father, Holy Father. But on the cross, what does he say? God, God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do you know why he says God? Because he is willing to lose the firstborn blessing. Paul says it very simply. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham and Jacob might come to us through Christ Jesus. To put it simply, friends, Jesus Christ put on your clothes. He smelled like your stinky self. He dressed up like you. He got the curse you deserve. What's the opposite of blessing? It's a curse. It's when you condemn someone and they know it for the rest of their life. So that when we believe in Christ, Christ took on our curse. So that as you look to him, you can be his clothes. You can wear his clothing. You can wear his white robes. The problem is, friends, that you try to dress yourself up. The way of salvation where you look at your own good effort and you say, yeah, you know what? I got 51% good karma. I got a little bit of bad karma over here, but my good karma is way better. My good things I do are way better. I mean, I've done some bad things, but my good's better. You're dressing up for God. It won't work. He will see right through you. Jacob's scared to death. You're scared to death that God's going to see through you, that people will see through you. The way of the gospel is Jesus Christ dresses up as you. He gets the curse you deserve so that God accepts you as if you dress up like Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 12, 23, the New Testament says that the church, the city of God, is the church of the firstborn. You ever thought about that? The church of the firstborn? How can you have multiple firstborns? If you have more than one kid, it's impossible to have more than one firstborn. What kind of family has 10 kids and everybody is a firstborn? It's impossible. Except in God's family. Because in God's family, what you experience in the Father's love when you stand in the work of Jesus Christ is that you're the only one that matters to him. That's what it feels like. You're Jesus Christ. You must see Jesus dressing up like you so that you can dress up like him. How does he do it? It's what Rebecca said, you know. Remember Rebecca? Verse 13, the mother says to the son she loves, let your curse be on me. That's a picture of what our Savior does. He says to us, let your curse be on me. He says to the father, I'm going to go and take their curse on me. So that you can have the firstborn blessing of the father. What should that make you do? As a Christian, what should that make you do? Let me give you one thing. The Bible calls Christians to bless and not curse. The Bible calls Christians to bless and not curse. You know, you can be a good person who's, who's nice at complimenting people. You can be a person who's great at telling people, hey, you're looking pretty good today. I really enjoyed what you did the other day. I like hanging out with you. You can be a person who's very good at giving compliments Because you want people to like you. 
the person who's very good at dressing up because you want people to like you. That's not blessing. That's using people. That's using people. That's manipulating people. You see, if you have a hole in your heart, if you have a hole in your soul, and you're always dressing up as somebody else, you will never bless anybody, really. Because you're not actually discerning them. What is blessing? It's discerning who they are. You can never see who someone really is if you're always using them for your own goals. Like Isaac and Esau, like Esau and Isaac, like Rebecca and Jacob, like Jacob and Isaac, the whole sad lot of them. Until you're blessed, you're never going to be a blessing. That's Abraham's promise. God promises, I bless you to be a blessing. I only bless you, not to get goodies, but to be a blessing. You see, this week, if you're a Christian, you have the ability to bless other people. Not just with your words, but with your actions. Thoughtfully, eloquently, with all that you are pouring into their lives. You have kids, you have parents, you have relatives, you have family, you have friends, you have coworkers. Go out there, your neighbors, bless them, be a blessing. What manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, the church of the firstborn. Let's pray. Almighty Lord, we thank you that you are our Father, that you bless us, that you're not blind to us, You're not deceived by us. You see that every nook and cranny of our hearts, you know us, and yet you receive us and bless us. You gift us and grace us by your spirit above. Bless us this week that we may be a blessing. Look into Christ, our older brother, who calls us firstborn. We pray in his name these things. Amen.